Welcome to Elite Rugby SNC Podcast, the best podcast talking all things rugby and strength and conditioning. At Elite Rugby SNC, we provide athletes with strength and conditioning programs that provides you with everything you need to become a beast and take your game to the next level. No matter what stage of the year or season, Elite Rugby SNC has a program for you. You can try before you buy, so try our seven-day, seven-dollar trial to get a taste of what we offer here at Elite Rugby SNC. So take your game to the next level, become a beast, and join Elite Rugby SNC today. G'day, Mitch. How are you? Hey, good. Thanks, Knox. And you? Yeah, going really well, thanks. How's uh, Queensland um, been treating you? Yeah, it's been really good, mate. It's uh, been a good move, nice and warm up here. Um, yeah, some really good people. I'm bumping into a lot of ex-Canberrans that are up this way, and, uh, yeah, it's been quite exciting to catch up with them. Uh, that's good, mate. Hopefully you haven't gotten too sunburned, you know, because the sun's a bit different up there compared to here to Canberra. Have you been, a, been sun smart up there? I'm uh, doing my best, mate. Always sun smart. Yeah, no, that's good. So how's the year uh, been going so far and what have you been up to? Um, yeah, the year's been really busy so far. We've um, got a lot going on with you know, Queensland Rugby League in, in terms of the, the women's game. So it's really ramping up you know, the overall um, speed that younger girls are getting pushed into you know, NRLW contracts and that sort of thing. So trying to... Um, upskill those girls to, to understand what it's like to be going into a almost a full-time professional program and we've still got some some barriers there with uh, the NRL and where the NRLW competition sits and and where the women's origin games sit but we've got our Queensland comp that started up two weeks ago so so they're up and running um, but yeah a few little blips around contracts and things like that with girls but yeah, getting out and you know just talking to those girls about you know where they need to be in terms of their um, their physical qualities around their, their running conditioning, their upper body and lower body strength and power, um, and just trying to promote those sort of um, you know biases into their training, talking with their coaches and SNC coaches across the state. So that's that's probably been the big focus early through January and that, and then we've moved into now where we're. We're doing some work with the NRL Rise program, which is a program targeted 13 to 15 year olds for um, you know, men and women, boys and girls. Um, so there's um, a lot of that running through the state at the moment. We've got 23 regions across Queensland um, where that's running. So 23 head coaches, managers, SNC coaches, assistant SNCs, assistant coaches. So getting around to those guys and you know selling the good oil of you know why they need to have SNC as part of their program and you know, helping coaches that are, are working with, you know, 13, 14-year-old group that don't have an SNC coach, um, giving them a bit of education around stuff they can just be doing on the field to help build up the resilience of their young kids because, you know, these kids are going to sports schools where they're training four times a week in a sports school and then they're going to their club training. They might be in a rep team. They might be playing basketball and cricket and all that sort of thing. So, some of these kids are really getting smashed. So just trying to help them to understand, you know, the, the amount of demands on young kids these days and, and how we can help them, you know, flow through so they, they still want to play rugby league or rugby or whatever sport it is. They still want to be able to play that, you know, when they get to 18 and just don't drop out of sport altogether. So that's so probably, you know, the big shift in, in focus with what we're doing. And then um, we've just named a women's emerging Maroons team for you know the State of Origin series that will happen in June. 
Um, so there's 32 players in that, and we've been going around, you know, meeting up with each of those players, um, going through their individual performance plans, and, and looking at, you know, where they need to focus on to, you know, be right for for June because they've got, a, as I said, their state league comp at the moment. They don't know what's happening with NRLW, so making sure that they're in the right frame of mind when they come to the end of May to go into camp to go and win. You know, two Origin games. Although that hasn't been announced yet, but that's that's what's going to happen. There'll be two Origin games this year for the women, which yeah. is awesome. No, it's fantastic, and a lot of things to digest there. But it's awesome to see that the girls have got a clear pathway now, and they're getting this strength conditioning at a young age as well. Because you don't want want to get through all these years without getting some SNC assistance there and knowing how to train properly and take care of yourself and get to the top level. And it's expected of you. So it's really cool to see NRLs doing that. And then especially with the rise program as well, you just sort of look at rugby uh, union. You're just like, we need something like that. It just sounds amazing what the NRL is doing at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. And, you know, just the, the sheer weight of numbers and, you know, up in, up in Queensland rugby leagues, like a religion, you know, you paper, all you see is rugby league reports and that. And, and and unfortunately, rugby doesn't get much of a look in. I mean, they've got the Reds and that sort of thing going on up here, but you don't see a lot in the media about it. Um, I think Triple M on a Tuesday night, they do a, their rugby wrap-up and that, that's pretty good. And they get a few of the Reds guys on and that sort of thing. But other than that, it's you know, it's rugby league central up here, that's for sure. Mm, 100%, especially with the Dolphins as well. They've been going quite well in the NRL. It's only rising the sport and, and making more people talk about it as well. Oh, without a doubt. And, and the success they've had early on is is incredible and real testament to the program they've put together. So, yeah, mm. it's pretty, hopefully they, they keep going well. And um, yeah, the, the Queensland teams keep going well as well. That's, uh, that's a key for us up here. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how the Maroons bounce back this year if they can uh, defeat the Blues in the state of origin for the girls. And, um, yeah, it'll just be be really good competition because the last year when I watched I thought it was one of the best women's rugby matches I've ever seen like the skill level how fast they were going the hits um, it was just awesome to see and I'm glad we're getting two games you know we get to see that twice this year and hopefully very soon we can see it three times a year as well yeah well it's in the, in the pipeline for three games it was some talk that it might have gone to three games this year but um, yeah it hasn't been announced but it, the good oil is that it's um, you know, two games at the moment. So so we'll see. They could throw a spanner in the works and, and stick three in there. But, yeah, two is what we're sort of focusing on at the moment. But we've got plans for a third one just in case that gets thrown at us as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Really exciting stuff. So gr- yeah. growing up as a young lad, what sports did you play and what was the main sport you decided to play sort of in the later years? Um, look, I, I had a crack at pretty much everything as a kid. Um, I think rugby league was my first sport. Um, so I started you know, playing down there in, in Canberra and played played through all the junior grades, but you know, it was pretty easy to, to mix sports up as well. So usually rugby league was a Sunday game in, in Canberra at the time. Um, rugby union was a Saturday. So there was a couple of years where I played rugby on a Saturday and, and rugby league on a Sunday. Um, then I had a crack at AFL as well, or, or Aussie Rules, and um, was playing that on a Saturday and um, doing the league on the Sunday. So league was probably the mainstay. And then during summer, I always played cricket. So, um, you know, cricket and rugby league were probably my, my two main sports growing up as a kid. And then I was fortunate enough, I was probably good enough at league to get put into some, some rep teams and that. So 
training for for league with the Raiders and that would start you know in November and that sort of thing. So I had to make a choice of whether I keep playing cricket or, or play league. So um, yeah, I stopped playing cricket and, and focused purely on league when I got to about 17, 18 years old. So um, that's where it went. And then unfortunately, um, wasn't the great rugby league player that, that I thought I was going to be. And um, so then yeah, got into the coaching side of it. So that was um, that was really good becoming a coach um, and uh, getting involved in league that way. So. Yeah, so that's what, pretty much what I did as a kid, but I did a whole lot. I used to play squash and you know, had to go out at soccer and uh, yeah, so lots of different sports, I guess, growing up as a kid. Yeah. That's awesome. So when you sort of were on the back end of your rugby league career, is that when you decided you wanted to become a coach or you, was, you had that thought in your head, oh, I might not make it to the level that I want to make, but I still want to be involved with the sport and still be a part of it. Was, it, was that when you decided to become an, uh, an SNC coach and was it always an area that you wanted to be, become a coach as well? Um, look, I, I sort of had a, and I always wanted to be a PE teacher. That's, I think, from when I first went into year seven and I had these PE classes and PE teachers, I thought, what a great job that is, just taking people out and playing footy and doing stuff like that. And I thought, well, that's what I want to do. Um, so that, that was pretty much what I did in, in terms of my pathways. I, I went on and, and did PE teaching at uni and, I actually taught for, for nine years and, and did PE and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, really enjoyed that. But I, I guess from an S&C point of view, from the time I was about 15, a good mate of mine, his, his dad bought him a gym set up that we, we used to train in his gym and, like, he just sort of bought him the weights and didn't say, oh, this is how you train or anything. And so we used to buy muscle and fitness magazines and Joe Wider Flex and all that and we'd just go through the magazines and look at the programs and the tips on on lifts and we just sort of started writing ourselves our programs and you know we do it three or four times a week in the gym and using that to um as part of our training for for rugby league mainly um so i did that did that for a number of years and then when i started playing junior grades with the raiders it was pretty much what my first exposure to an snc coach and i thought well you know this is this is pretty cool but no i'm pretty Sergeant Majorish and that sort of thing there. So, so at the time I was still, well, you know, PE teaching is pretty cool. You get to do a lot of sports and um, the SNC role at the time, they, they just called it, you know, they were sports trainers essentially. So it wasn't really strength and conditioning. Um, and then when I'd started playing uh, 21s with the Raiders, we were in with the main grade. So there was, you know, first grade and was when there was reserve grade and under 21s. We used to train under. Um, Sean McRae was a, the strength and conditioning coach at the time. He was also a PE teacher. So I started to think about, oh, maybe this, this could be a good career for me here. And we also had Kelvin Giles, who's, you know, probably arguably one of the, the goats of strength and conditioning in Australia, if not the world. Um, he was our strength and conditioning coach. And you know, he, he was a sort of man that, you know, he could get people to do stuff they 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 didn't really want to do and you know as a player at the time you know I, I felt like I'd crawl over broken glass for Kelp and he just just inspired people so much and so yeah he's had a big influence on on me as a coach and, and the way I coach you know just trying to inspire you know athletes to be better to get people to do you know shit they don't necessarily want to do um, so yeah from there I, I sort of I stopped playing and, and went into coaching wasn't really sure what the pathway was into to SNC it just seemed to be something where you know ex-players um, got a role if they you know they were into their fitness and that sort of thing 
they'd pick up a role. But I, I ended up doing some coaching with the, the junior reps and the Raiders. And at the time, um, I was finishing my PE degree and I, I was working in a gym as well. So I picked up a, a job in a commercial gym, a fitness centre, running circuits and running programs and that sort of thing. And uh, the Raiders at the time said, look, would you be interested in doing the SNC with the with the junior rep programs? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. That'd be great. So, so that's pretty much where I started um, working in the league at that time. So I was still an assistant coach plus picking up the SNC and then um, eventually transitioned into, you know, doing the SNC, but I was still teaching full time. So I was, you know, teaching, you know, whatever, 8.30 till, till 3.30. Then, you know, we'd have guys in the gym. We had, um, with the Raiders, we had two different programs set up at Erindale College and Dixon College. So we'd have, you know, Dixon College guys would be in the gym early in the morning on a, um, a Dixon College. So I'd go in with those guys, go and teach, and then go and get the Erindale guys in the afternoons and, and do it that way. And then, fortunately enough, we ended up teaching at Erindale College. So I was able to, you know, look after the, all the Arendelle College boys at the time and get their SNC done and that sort of thing there. Um, so that, that was where I started off in in SNC uh, in that sort of area. But it was was more you know just that initial interest from myself around you know, how I can get my body to be better and um, you know play sport better as a result. It was probably a phase I went through where I thought I was going to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger as well and went right down that path. But it was um, it was all good fun just working out you know. How, how strength training affects your body, you know, how different running conditioning modalities affect what you're doing and then how you, your speed comes into that as well. So, you know, exciting times. And again, I'm still lucky to be doing it now as a full-time job and, you know, people like you ring me up want to talk about it. So it's fantastic. Yeah. No, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's a really cool pathway to becoming an, an SNC coach and something that I can re- um, relate to as well, you know. You think you're going to go far in the sport that you want to do and unfortunately some things happen and then you start to realize oh yeah i want to still be involved in in, in the sport and i necessarily don't necessarily want to be a rugby coach but i want to do something still with the sport and that's where snc comes in and um yeah i think i was exposed early to snc with yourself you know um with the sort of junior gold or the national talent program for rugby so that was my first exposure to snc and i thought this is pretty cool you know and um it was really cool to see that that could be a career option for someone who didn't go as far as he wanted to go in rugby so um yeah it's just awesome to see that you did that and you did have to take on a few different roles but eventually that full-time role came around which is which is awesome i think that's something that snc coaches um resonate with is you're not going to get that full-time role straight away you could but most of the time you have to work with a couple of different sports and do a couple of different things and work in a gym as well uh, in a commercial gym. And then eventually you will get that full-time role. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and there's a lot of different pathways to, to take to get there. But I think you know, the big thing is just trying to get as much knowledge and as much experience and exposure as you can across, across the board. Mm, 100%. So a question you asked me several years ago when um, you invited me to uh, – a little meeting at Brumby's HQ and I found that meeting awesome and it's always stuck with me ever since. So I wanted to ask you the question back to you. What is your current coaching philosophy and how has this coaching philosophy changed over the years and across different sports? Yeah, look, it's it's a really good question and I guess just to backtrack a bit on it to start with, I think um, I didn't really think about philosophies and that sort of thing 
early days as a coach, it was sort of, you know, you just went along and you and you coached, you just did your stuff. And um, I was really fortunate a few years ago to read a book by Pete Carroll, who's the um, Seattle Seahawks coach. Um, and he, he wrote a book, Win Forever. And, and he talks about, you know, you should be able to talk, you know, tell someone your philosophy in 25 words. Um, so I really sat down and I thought, well, you know, what am I going to, you know, what are, what are my 25 words around my philosophy? And I think, I think it comes down to a couple of key points. And I think it's, you know, one, can you, can you create a positive environment for your athletes? Um, and that environment, you want to be able to see continuous improvement and, and growth in your athletes. So wherever you are, regardless in the year, are, are they improving? Is there growth? Are they, are they learning what they're doing? And also having around that some, some really high standards um, around, you know, how they, they move about the gym, but also what the expectations are around where they need to get to within, you know, whatever component is of your S&C. So you know, whether it be a running benchmark, whether it be a lifting benchmark, a speed benchmark, whatever it is, setting high performance goals so that, you know, they can, they can chase after them um, to make sure they're going to be successful at the highest level. So, so it's more than 25 words, but that's, it's probably putting into play, you know, how, how I think about things. It's, you know, it, there's got to be continuous improvement across the year, I think is, is a big point. And, and then creating that environment that allows that is super important. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic book. And I'm a big Seattle Seahawks fan. So I've definitely read the book and seen the, the culture that Pete has created at the Seahawks. And he harps on about creating a competitive environment. And, but it's also a, an environment where if me and you are competing against each other in the same position, we're building each other up and whoever gets the starting spot at the end of the day, I'm happy for you, but I'm going to be competing against you to take your spot as well. And it's not done out of, you know, I hate that person or something like that. It, it's done in good nature and in a positive environment, which he has created. And you just see it all the time. I'm very biased to Seattle, but you see it all the time. Like we create players out of low draft picks or free agents un, uh, who get undrafted. And these guys just become very talented and then get the pay rise that they deserve because they've put in the hard work. They've been given the opportunity in a really good environment to shine and yeah, it's, it's just awesome to see. And um, I think it's a really cool book to read and then understand how to build your own philosophy off um, Pete's philosophy as well. Yeah, so hopefully we'll get some kickbacks from Pete for that good plug. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be pretty cool to get him on the podcast. You that competitive environment, that's a, you know, that's a key, you know, with the higher level um, sports that, you know, where they're, they're very competitive and professional adding that competition. And that's, that's what creates the fun. And I think that's a, that's a big thing is your group having fun. Have you created that environment where they're having fun, they're getting the work done and, and they're being successful. And if they see themselves improving, you know, they're going to be more positive about what they're doing. So, you know, that, that's a crucial factor for me. Hmm. Can you give us some examples from say your time at the Brumbies or with the rugby sevens or even with the rugby league girls that you've, put in some competitive sort of things into the program to make them sort of, you know, compete against each other? Yeah, I think um, one of the simple things is um, I've used gym aware for a long time and just being able to use that velocity-based training and using the leaderboard um, in the gym. So, you know, we're very fortunate at the Brumbies to have screens and that sort of thing in there. So we could put it up and, you know, could say to the guys, all right, this is, this is what we're doing today. You know, we're all trying to hit... 0.7 metres per second, let's say you can hit 0.7 metres per second with the, the greatest load and, and measure stuff that way. 
Um, you know, we did stuff around, you know, putting light gates and stuff into the gym as well. So, you know, looking at 10 metre times and, you know, who can get the quickest 10 metre time when we've got a real focus on that acceleration components. Um, so things like that became quite good, even just having like um, med ball relay chases and things like that. Um, out on the field, you know, just adding different elements um, within, you know, little competition games, you know, your game-based conditioning and that sort of thing. Um, splitting up into teams that compete all year, like you, know, you keep the same teams all year, you know, and they can give their team a, a name after you know one of the the greats of the club. And you know, we found out the hard way that you, know, you don't let them pick names just randomly because they come up with all sorts of weird things. So <laughs> try try and have a theme to it. Um, I think one of the, the best ones we did was with the um, the Canberra Vikings in the, um, back. I think it was um, 2019. We, because it was the Vikings and um, a few of the boys and myself and the coach, we'd all watch the, you know, the Vikings series. So we, we tried to put a whole Vikings theme to that whole um, uh, competition, the NRC competition. And, you know, we had, you know, axe throwing and things like that for the, you know, the player who got man of the match, they got a got an axe with their name engraved on it. And then we went out and they, there was a, a target that the coach had set up so we could throw the axe at the target and, it just built that whole you know, fun theme and, you know, we had Viking games and, and all that sort of thing. So it was, I think, just building that fun element into it and it just takes them away from, you know, the drudgery of day-to-day training all the time. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Some really good examples there. And, yeah, I would say de- definitely put that into your program if you haven't done that already or you might be doing it and you don't know that you're doing it. But adding that competitiveness to it, to athletes who are very competitive, it just makes the program a lot more, um, more, more enjoyable, as you said, but just, yeah. you know, just more, just more fun to be around as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So you've had the opportunity to coach three different codes of rugby, you know, rugby union, rugby league and rugby sevens. Were there any key differences in SNC programming for each code that sort of stand out? Well, I think, um, at the time, initially, you know, in, in rugby league, I, I hadn't had much exposure to other areas, but, you know, coming back to league now, using experiences from, you know, rugby sevens and working in rugby's really helped me, I suppose, hone my skills within rugby league as well. And I think um, one of the key things is, is going back to what the actual game looks like um, and what the, the metrics of the game is. And so I've been really fortunate, I guess, in, well, not recent times now, it's been around for a, a while now, GPS gives us a really good insight into to what the game metrics look like and then how your actual training metrics match or or actually you know, are, are better than what the game metrics are because if you just train at game metrics, you know, when you get to a worst-case scenario in a game, you, you actually at that or been able to train at that intensity. So so knowing what, you know, the, the worst-case scenario looks like in a game um, and whether that's, you know, 180 metres per minute when you're, playing in a game that's usually at 90 metres per minute. Um, but across the three codes, you know, rugby sevens, um, you know, rugby and rugby league, I guess, you know, your, your rugby runs a bit slower than rugby league does and then rugby sevens runs a lot faster than both of those two sports together. So it, it comes around, you know, different um, metrics that you need to look at, particularly from a GPS point of view. And one of the biggest things I saw initially with um, rugby sevens was looking at, the rate of accelerations to decelerations to change the direction um, really changed. And that was working with a guy, Andrew Gray, who um, has his own uh, GPS analysis um, company. 
And um, we looked at, well, in rugby sevens, for example, there was one and a half accelerations to one deceleration to six change of directions that were happening in a game. So if you look at a tournament, six games, um, that was what we we're seeing on average, that sort of um, ratios of acceleration, deceleration, change direction. Then when we looked at our training data, it was a two to one to three. So you can see that, you know, from a change of direction point of view, we, we didn't have as much change of direction happening in training. So that was something that we decided we need to, to try and implement a lot more and probably to our detriment to start with, because we, we went probably a little bit too hard on the change of direction and ended up with some, some groin issues and things like that. Um, but again, once we, we figured it out and got the, the volume and the, the, the quantity quality right of um, the change of direction it really showed us, um, you know, the next level our, our players could go to, um, which, which was really cool. But again, you know, we see that sort of thing happening you know, in in rugby, the, the switch in looking at extensive to, to intensive running. So the ex extensive running is more that higher end running um, compared to the intensive stuff, which is looking at, you know, more around that change of direction, that, the, the denser drills you do and the, you know, short footwork and, and a lot of stuff that, um, you know, you, you do around your acceleration mechanics and footwork at the line within rugby. You know, it shows up on those GPS metrics. Um, and then again, you know, looking at, at league, uh, a league, um, come back to looking at that change of direction and XL, D-cell component. And there's um, a measure that has been around for a while, that XL density, where you're looking at the number of accelerations, decelerations, change of directions within a minute. And, you know, where, where do they sit within a game? And, and Andrew Gray came up with these metrics around if they're at, you know, 44% uh, of the time, that's just that's the sort of level you want to be at for your excels and change of directions as an interchange forward within, within rugby league. So they're coming on for short, sharp hits and that sort of thing. So, again, across all of those three sports, that XL change of direction stuff is a very important component. And then how you actually moderate that around the overall running metrics of the game, um, you know, rugby sevens being, you know, the shorter 14 minutes, but then across a whole weekend, you know, they're getting upwards of, you know, that 78, 78 minutes, how's my mass? You know, it doesn't matter, but they, they end up with, um, you know, pretty much equivalent to a full game or, you know, 80 minute rugby league, rugby union sort of stuff across there, but it's at a much higher intensity than what the other two are at. So, so those sort of metrics are, are important, but I think, you know, across all of those three codes, you, you need to be pretty consistent in the work you do within the gym and you, you only get very small windows of opportunity, really. Um, you might get two or three sessions a week. You might get three hours. So what are you going to get the biggest bang for buck? Um, so I think in, in terms of that, keeping in you know, your main components about your, you know, your, your squat hinge, um, your, your push-pull um, components, really important there, your core, your single leg lunge patterning and that sort of thing. So so keeping in those key elements, I think people try to get a little bit fancy at times. Um, but across all those sports, there's still key characteristics around lower body and upper body power that are, are really important for, for all three games. So I think we've got a bit off track there, Nork. So no, that was awesome. Um, I suppose one last thing is not everyone's got access to, to GPS. So... I think um, there was a. I don't think there was a study done by Rudy Meir a long time ago when the, the actual Tweed Seagulls were in the NRL comp back in the, the early 90s and, and that sort of thing. And he did a, you know, a ball in motion or a time in motion 
study there where we worked out you know what the the ratio work to rest was across the game and, and I think it's still really valuable and something I did up here with Queensland Rugby League is look at um, you know ball and play initially you know just looking at the um, you know footage of games as to you know what the ratios of work to rest were to say well how are you designing your training programs around this like if if we've got you know periods of play that can last for six minutes without a break, are we actually doing that in training where you know we're doing six minutes of work at you know 90 meters per minute plus sort of thing? So um, the ball in play is a really good good way to go where if you don't have access to GPS. So I'd really recommend it. Yeah, and that's something I've seen in the past and, and done a little bit in as well because you have access to or most. Um, first grade teams these days have access to to the games being filmed and you can easily just do that you know just get a stopwatch or whatever it is or you, you use an excel spreadsheet and set up some data that way and just press you know start stop start stop and just easily do that and i think for me as well for for younger coaches is just looking at training you know just look look at your training are they doing enough change of direction do you think they're actually doing that and um, is it more planned? Are you putting in some decision-making into that change direction? And then look at the game and you see, oh, they look like they're lacking some change direction or lacking some top-end speed. Let's go do that in training as well. So definitely use your coaching eye. And then once you get the opportunity to use the GPS metrics and data and all that, um, it's just going to aid your performance. And you might see something that GPS misses or vice versa. GPS picks up something that you're missing and you can use that hand in hand and then you're just going to grow your, your toolbox, um, as people say. Yeah, exactly right. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, G GPS, it's awesome to use. And um, yeah, I hope everyone one day gets to use it and just don't get too lost in the metrics though because um, it can produce, <laughs> produce quite a bit of data uh, for you. Yeah, yeah, just keep it simple. And the old KISS principle. Mm, 100%. So how does an SNC coach create a, a successful program to meet the needs for the players, but also meet the demands of the sport? No, I think it's um, really important to understand um, the game demand. So it, it doesn't matter what, what sport you're working with, um, you know, understand what the demands of the game are. And, and I think in, in more recent years, a lot of coaches have, have got a game model that they work with, particularly within rugby league and rugby union, and, and then relating those you know, game demands um, and the, um, uh, the game plan to how you're actually going to put your program together. So that way you can, you can speak the same speak with the coaches, but then also with the players. Um, so, example, if you're if you're saying, oh yeah, we're just doing, we're going to do squats in this program, or we're doing, you know, 40 meter accelerations, or, or whatever it's going to be, or, or max velocity, or we're doing wicket running, you know, how how do those relate to the game? And so then going back to, you know, the game plan as to well, in the game plan it says, well, we want to have good foot drive into contact. So foot drive into contact, what does that look like? You know, we need to have good lower body strength to be able to do that. We need to be able to do that bilaterally and unilaterally. So that's why we're putting these, these exercises in your program because leg drive into contact is a big component. Um, it might be controlling the ruck. Um, and there's you know great research around from you know, Tim Gabbard and Michael Speranza around you know, that people who are better tacklers and control the ruck better have better upper body strength and power. So you know, coach, everyone's doing a bench press, but you know, we're doing a bench press because we want to be able to build that strength and then we need to be able to um, use that that strength in an explosive way. So we're going to be doing some, some med ball stuff where we're doing explosive chest passes, we're doing clap push-ups, 
Um, we're doing jammer presses, those sort of things, so we can actually express that strength in a powerful way, which is going to relate to what we're doing in the game. Um, so those, you know, the game game metrics are, are really important to be able to build into to what you're doing within, you know, your strength, your your speed, and your your running conditioning programs. Yeah, hundred percent. Definitely understanding the game model of what the head coach wants to, you know, play with, can make your program much easier for athletes to buy into because at times I've probably learned this the hard way, just putting stuff in because I thought it was good, but not actually understanding the reason why. And once you understand that reason why and can say, Hey, we want to do this for this outcome because it's in our game plan. Athletes like, Oh yeah, I understand that. And they'll do it much more um, with, with more intent and do it more efficiently as well. So I think it's, it's really cool to use the same language that the head coach is using and you're using it as well in your gym program, but also your speed and conditioning work as well. Yeah. And, and that game, it, it doesn't matter, you know, what, what sport it is. I mean, you know, different sports I've worked with, it's, you know, what, what are the key elements you want to get better at? Um, you know, a good example is working with rowing, a men's um, pair in rowing. And we did some biomech on, you know, their, um, their strength and power through the stroke. And the person who was um, sitting in the bow seat, so controlling the boat and the stroke seat, both had different um, force characteristics through the stroke. So, so one didn't have the the power to to put into the stroke, um, but had strength at the back end of the stroke, and the other one had um, power at the start, but then dropped off really quickly. So, even though the two were were training in the same boat and doing everything together. The way we worked their, their gym program was different to try and increase their, you know, one of their guys, their, their power and that, so they can initially get power on with the oar to start with. And then the other guy we're looking at, well, we need to build up that strength endurance capacity and their strength element so the power that they put in, they can then keep that strength on so they can finish the stroke off well. So, again, that was, you know, working with, you know, the head coach and, and the biomechanist to be able to come up with a solution to how we get these guys better. Yeah, that's that's really interesting right there. And you could probably relate that back to any sport as well. And yeah. yeah, that's that's fascinating as well. You know, you, you both done the same work, but from just looking at it, you probably think they're doing the same work. But well, yeah, one's working harder at the start, one's working harder at the end. And yeah, that's that slow, subtle change in their gym program would make a massive difference out there on the water. Hi, everyone. We just want to take a quick break from this episode. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far and all the content we have produced. We appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far. If you haven't already, sign up to Elite Rugby SNC blog today. We provide free exclusive content every single week to our subscribers. You'll find our website link in our bio below. Remember to like, subscribe, and share Elite Rugby SNC on all social media platforms to all your family and friends. Thanks again for all your support, and now back to the episode. Mm, that's awesome. So in-season rugby union and rugby league are about to start for many athletes or it's probably started for many people as well depending where you are in the in the country in the world what does a typical in-season snc program look like for you mitch if you're just being very general out there um look i think you start with your game day and, and work backwards from there um so typically you know if you're playing on on a saturday um the day before your team may have a, a captain's run there, so captain's run, and, and that's, a, that's always a challenge, you know, is the captain's run or is it the coach's run? Is the coach trying to get extra work into them and that sort of thing? So I think, you know, keeping that, you know, really low-key low, low key session where, you know, the, the players are 
you know, if they need to get a, a bit of run into the legs, they want to open up a little bit, yeah, great. Um, but just keeping it pretty on the down low, you know, shouldn't be getting over more than 2Ks of, of distance in that time. Keeping the session short, sharp is pretty much key. Um, then that G minus two day, so the day before your, your captain's run. So again, captain's run was on the Friday, the Thursday. Um, there's there's different schools of thoughts out there. Um, you know, I was in a in a meeting with some stuff I do with the ACA, and we're talking with rugby league guys, and they said, oh, you know, we've gone to the rugby union model of um, G minus two is where we do our intensity session. I know Penrith do that quite heavily, and when I first started the Brumbies. Uh, for my second stint, that's the way we were doing it on that G minus two day. was a was a high high training load, um, good intensity. It was a short session though, um, so they're doing that there and then into the captain's run and then then game day. So with that with that day there, um, we moved that to the G minus three day with the Brumbies. So gave them that rest day on the G minus two, um, and that's what we've been doing with the. Uh, the Moraines women as well and across our junior rep programs is, is recommending that G minus two day is a, is a rest day um, so they can uh, you know, get recovery and do any of the sort of hydrotherapy modalities, all that sort of thing on, the, on that day. So it, it gives them a couple of days off and particularly if that intensity day you get um, some eccentric loading and any soreness, at least why you know, 48 hours post that session, they're already starting to come good before the game. Um, whereas on that G minus two day, if you're doing a good intensity session there, um, you may be still a little bit sore coming into game day, which you know mentally, you know may or may not affect the players. But different models. Again, you know, talking with some some of the other uh, NRL SNCs at the moment, they're going to because senior players can't go back to back days of running. So the coaches have modified how they do their training week. So they have a, a day on feed, day off feed. So their field sessions. I'll typically have that G minus two being their, their last intensity day. And because they're at a higher level and have good training um, backgrounds and a good platform on which to work with, they're probably not getting a sore come that game day. But if you're working with you know, younger players or less experienced athletes, you know, the potential is to have some residual soreness on, on that game day. So... Again, you know, it's a matter of talking with your coach about what you do. For me, I think that G minus two day, it's good to have as a rest day. And then that G minus three becomes your intensity day. Um, the G, so if we're coming back, so Wednesday would be that intensity day. The Tuesday then becomes more a volume day where they're getting through a lot of reps and work in terms of um, the skills and stuff they want to you know, work on for the weekend or develop and, and it's probably the, a good day for the contact because when they're going to be sorest is when they're having that recovery day on the back of their um, yeah, their contact and that sort of thing. So they, they're getting some work in there and then starting to freshen up again for the weekend. Um, then the Monday after the weekend game is predominantly a day where, um, you know, it's it's the learning from, from the weekend, um, maybe going through walkthroughs and that sort of thing on field. Um, trying to you know, get in place the things that they want to work on the following day. So, you know, we talk about um, on that Monday, getting through learning and then practicing all that stuff on the Tuesday, then executing on the Wednesday, freshening up on the Thursday, Friday, getting through the captain's run, then the Saturday being good to go. 
Um, but again, as I said, there's, there's a few different modalities out there. And as I said, the NRL guys I was talking to, they've said, oh, we've gone to a rugby model. And we said, oh, we went to a league model. So I think it's it's switched there where that G minus two is a rest day or, or an intensity day. Um, in terms of the gym stuff around that, I, I like to get the, the heavier lifting and, and lower body components done um, earlier in the week. So on that, that Monday, um, the Tuesday is more... Uh, uh, upper body and posterior chain component because again with that posterior chain eccentric loading 48 hours doms is going to fall on that that thursday when they're, they're most sore um, and then wednesday is predominantly more a, a power based day um, and then picking up you know depending different players like to pick up some upper body components on the on the captain's run day and then maybe even doing a, a short primer on on game day as part of that that training week um, in terms of like the speed component, speed always always like to keep two elements of speed. So, you know, the Excel change of direction needs to be in there and then a max velocity as well. So if you get GPS data and you can look at it and see whether people are, you know, getting up over that 90%, um, you know, that's, that's a really key component of, you know, that inoculation against hamstring injuries and things like that is, is making sure they're running fast and running fast often. Um, and, and red flags come up if you haven't, you know, knocked into that 90% for the last couple of weeks. So trying to trying to keep them up in, in that sort of area. So, um, and then the last one around the, the running conditioning is, is generally on that, you know, the Tuesday getting that the running conditioning into them. So um, the MAS work, I think has worked quite well. I mean, you can structure stuff around it. Dan Baker's put out some stuff recently around maintaining, um, conditioning levels throughout a season, you need that minimum dosage of eight minutes of work. Um, and then if you're trying to improve it, you know, increasing by a minute each time will, will help to improve that aerobic conditioning throughout the season. So you can scale up and scale down that, that running conditioning component in there. Again, you know, adding different variety to the MAS is really key because, um, you know, just that straight line or up and back shuttle stuff can become quite boring. Um, I like that in where, yeah, they're, they're running through traffic as well. So you start, you know, a group at one end, a group at the other end, they're, they're running through traffic, they change direction um, within the MAS stuff. So, so just adding in some more variety around the running becomes really crucial around trying to get that done. But again, that, you know, during that in-season period, making sure you've got at least some sort of stuff on that Tuesday. And then, you know, at the higher level, if you've got players who haven't played on the weekend or only played limited minutes, on that Monday, um, getting some top up running in there as well is, is really important. Yeah, that's, that's a great insight right there. Um, and I think athletes and coaches will start to look at their training and, and start to, you know, program it a little differently now after hearing that. It's, it's awesome. Uh, cool. Mm. But yeah, so definitely hitting around, you know, two to three gym sessions, you're getting your conditioning in there it doesn't have to be as much volume compared to your preseason as you said it just needs to be hitting certain numbers that you have done some work from the preseason and bringing it into the in-season hitting your change direction hitting your max velocity and doing some acceleration stuff as well um, but not overdoing it and i really like how you have a rest day in there some people do forget you need a full day's rest if it's on that thursday or even talking to ben donaldson from the waratahs i think their wednesday is their full day off as well but just having that full day off to just recover, relax, go do something else, hang out with some family or friends or do some active recovery. It's, it's definitely important in season um, because 
rugby's just rugby could be rugby union rugby league rugby sevens doesn't matter what it is like it just takes up a lot of time in your, in your week and your life and you might just need some me time in there as well yeah definitely and you know they they need that break from from us as coaches and and from each other as well although a lot of them tend to go and play golf together and things like that so yeah there's nothing wrong with playing golf though yeah exactly right just make just make sure they get the carts. I think I think that's one one piece of advice you say to them. If they're playing nine holes, yeah, you can walk. But if you're playing eighteen holes, that's four or five hours, depending how good you are at golf. Could be a bit longer if you're not the no. best. Yeah. And it's a bit of walking, so definitely get the carts to save the legs. Yeah. So, what advice do you have for SNC coaches out there wanting to work in rugby union, rugby league, or rugby sevens? Is there anything that comes to mind? Uh, look again, it's just about you know getting your um, your skills up as, as an SNC coach um, and, and just taking opportunities that come along. Um, as we, we spoke about a bit earlier, you know, people are, are too keen to get into, you know, full-time SNC roles early on. Um, and you know, you need to do your time. You need, you need to spend time looking at different sports. You need to make sure you're getting upskilled. Um, you know, the ASCA, I'll, I'll give a, a plug for because I'm, I'm part of that organisation, you know, getting in and, Make sure you've got your, your level one, um, your associate L2 course, and and then you know moving through that the whole scheme, you know, whether you become a you know professional level coach and then move on to do your elite L3 um, coaching course as well. Like those things hold you in really good stead. You meet a lot of different people in those courses, and, and those people, you know, depending on how you get on with people, may give you little insights or open doors to other opportunities for you. Um, so, so I think, yeah, getting that stuff done. The other thing is um, looking at getting a mentor within the sport you want to move into. Um, and getting a mentor is, is a really um, interesting phase of your life that you need to go through. And a lot of people just come up and go, oh, you know, John, will you be my mentor? And I go, oh, yeah, what, what do you want to do? And they go, I don't know. I want you to be my mentor. So, again, you know, the onus is on, on you as a mentee to, to come up with what you want to actually learn um, and what you want to get from from a mentorship. So, you know, if you come along to me, I'll say, well, what do you want to get out of this mentorship? What do you want to learn about? What's what's the key components? And there may be some stuff that I can't help someone with, um, but I know someone who will be able to help them. Um, so, you know, get somebody that, that's a mentor. And then the other thing is you need to, you know, pass on that information as well. So make sure you're working with someone at a lower level or you've, or you've got a friend or something that you can, you can pass that information on to because then, if you're able to disseminate that information on someone else, that's part of your learning as well. If you can explain it, hey, you've learned something. So um, get yourself a mentor, also have a mentee, um, and, and start, you know, hanging out around footy fields and things like that. Don't be creepy about it, but, you know, <laughs> start trying to get in, into those environments and be willing to do stuff for nothing, and that's 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 a challenging thing Um you know, if you want to get into it, you got to you got to spend the time. You know, if you're reading a book, you know, you don't you don't get paid to read a book. Um, same thing. You know, you go and talk to a coach and hang out there, hang out at the field, do a couple of weeks at the field. You know, it's four or five hours. If you want to read Pete Carroll's book, unless you're a really fast fast reader, it's going to take you six to seven hours to read the book. So think of it in terms of that rather than, oh, geez, I'm just standing around watching stuff. Take notes. You know, you know try and learn, ask questions. Um, that'd be my best advice. Yeah, hundred percent. I love the advice around being a mentor and being a mentee as well. And something it, it does rub off on you, like the stuff that you do learn. Like you know, the the question I asked you before about philosophy, I'd never really thought about 
you know, philosophy of my coaching until that time we had that meeting a few years back and now I do have a philosophy. And then another piece of advice that stuck with me from yourself as well is um, how like exercise selection when programming, you have your weapons and you have your armor. I still use that today and um, I actually did a, a, a blog post for Lumen as well and I was using that example and I did give you a shout out as well. Uh, it's, it's in the process, but just weapons and armor and I, I use that to my um, mentees and just other coaches I talk to. That's that's how I program. I keep it so simple like that. I, I think it's a great tip that you've given me and um, I've made sure to give it on to other people and also mention your name as well while giving that piece of advice. Yeah. No, thanks for that. I mean, that's um, that's something I got off someone else. Andrew Kroll is um, the master of weapons and armor, and he used it when he was at the the Cowboys because it was a big um, you know, military base up in Townsville, and they talked about you know what are your weapons and armor, and you know, I thought oh that's a, that's a really cool idea. I'll, I'll take that and use that. So with, with the Brumbies, we talked about the war horses, and you know what are your weapons and what are your armor there. So again, you know. Um, Eddie Jones talks about, you know, the best coaches are the best ideas thieves. So, you know, get out there and, you know, thieve as many ideas as you can. Give people credit, you know, who've um, given you those ideas as well. Mm. Did you want to quickly explain the weapons and armor? Because I'm sure there's people like, what are they talking about this for? And how, and how does it relate back to S&C coaching? Well, the, the weapon stuff is, you know, what, what's going to be uh, your point of difference in the game and, you know, what, what are we looking for? We talk, go back to that game model, it might be, leg drive through contact. So, you know, you're running into, you know, two, two Herculean guys, you know, they might be weighing, you know, in excess of 220 kilos and you're, you know, 90 kilos, 80 kilos, 100 kilos or whatever. You got to be able to drive through contact. So that, that work that you do in the gym, maybe around a squat. So we talk about, well, a squat is, you know, that that's your weapon. Um, it may be a, a Bulgarian squat. It may be a um, a jump squad, all those sort of things. They're, they're all weapons that are going to help you be better at, at that component. And then your armour comes down to what, whatever our, our risks or limiting factors that may occur within training and the game. And, you know, the big ones around, um, you know, particularly in the women's game at the moment, you know, ACL injuries, um, men's game around hamstring injuries and groin and that. So, so what exercises are we putting in that are, are providing us that armour or protection um, so we can express those, you know, those weapon skills within the game. So, so that's why I like to talk about it and get, you know, get really excited about the weapons that you're using. You know, this is this is a weapon. You're an outside back. You need to be run able to run 40 meters really quick. So, you know, how are you going to do that? And we need to have really good triple extension. What's triple extension look like in the gym? And we'll be doing cleans. We'll be doing jump squats. Okay, but we need to protect it as well. So we need to have our RDL components in there. We need to have our nautics. We need to have our isometric hamstring holds. All those sort of components, yeah, weapons and armors built together to be able to give us that great performance. There we go. You've heard it here first, weapons and armor. It's, it's, it's such a great term. And if you do struggle to, you know, talk to your athletes about programming and exercise selection, just putting them in those two simple terms is, is easy to do. And I've found it to be really effective as well. So being the head of performance or a physical performance manager, how do you create a successful team that provides the best service to the athletes and um you know also work as a team collectively to you know put the athlete first and make sure you're not butting heads too much and going off one way or another way or building up your own sort of silos as well so yeah how, how do you build a successful high performance team look that's um that's a really big challenge it's probably more challenging than your your other snc components 
um, and working with athletes is working with um, other staff and um, you know building your, your team and I mean there's a lot of um, good books out there um, you know Brett Bartholomew um, his work around you know the different archetypes and that sort of thing that you may have within your group and what what sort of people work well together and uh, Ron McKeefrey talks about um, you know do you have lions or dogs or, or goats and cats or whatever as part of your team you know if you've got too many lions in the cage you know you're going to have people butting heads so and and sometimes you don't have the the opportunity to, to pick your staff you, you you get who you're given um, but if you do get to pick your staff it's a lot of people like to pick staff that are similar to themselves um, which is good in the start because everyone's going oh yeah that's a really cool idea but if you're, you're all pretty strong-willed well you, you're going to have you know stuff where your heads are budding and, and that's okay because you, you need to have conflict to be able to, to grow and, and move on but depends on you as a leader you know what you're um, what you're willing to accept from from the staff within your team but I think it goes back to anything you've got to have a good plan um, around you know what you want your staff to do throughout the the season and then how that's broken down into you know like your, your pre-season requirements um, you know, the post-season where you're, you're actually doing your planning and that sort of thing to move into pre-season. Then they're in-season. I think having really good role clarity um, helps your, your staff to understand, you know, well, you know, where are where are my borders? What, where do I step into and out of? Am I allowed to, to move into that rehab realm? Well, no, it's not part of your designation, but you can talk to the person who's doing the rehab around what they're doing and then how you can integrate with them. But it's a, it's about making sure, you, you know, you stay within your lane, um, that you understand your role clarity. And then it's, you know, where do you operate within that overall plan? And it's, you know, you can start that plan out and I've been in places where, you know, you'll have a plan and it doesn't get touched on again until the end of the season. And people go, well, what went wrong? Well, did we stick to our plan? No, so I think having that touch point on a weekly basis with your whole staff is, is super important. Um, getting them together as a group, going through each of their areas with them as a group, going, well, you know, what's happening here? We're talking with the, the physio, we're talking with the doctor. Uh, we may have the nutrition, um, you know, your performance dietitian in, involved in that process, um, your S&C, your speed, your rehab people, all in the same room because your, your rehab guy might be having a problem. You go, oh, that, that may be a strength issue that we can help you with. And then the sports dietitian says, well, have they been, you know, um, having their subs as they're supposed to, what's their diet like? Oh, yeah, we, the diet's not great. They've put on a bit of weight in the, during this injury period. So, you know, how can everyone help? So I think it's it's having that forum where everyone's got a, a right to jump in and do stuff. But when it comes to the actual execution of the role, that, that one person's responsible for the execution of that role. But there's no opportunity for input at any one time. I think, yeah, and also just, you know, sharing you know, the, the wins and, and losses with the group as well. Like, you know, you know what, can, what can we do better? Um, you know, what did we do well that, that ended in, in this result of this great rehab that we did? Um, so there's just giving them that opportunity to, to work together as a group is really important. Um, and there's been different organisations and stuff where I work in where things become really siloed. Well, you know, the SNC do their stuff and biomechanists do their own thing, you know, nutrition do their own thing and that sort of thing. And, you know, that, that's where headbutting starts and, and players get or athletes get mixed messages in terms of where they should be going and what they should be doing in terms of trying to be the best they can be. So getting everyone together, having everyone on the same page is, is super important. Yeah, it's one of the worst things I think 
as a team when you say something but then someone else says something and the athlete gets that mixed message and they just don't know who to believe and you know that they should believe you but they should also believe the other person as well and it just comes back to those communication skills and you need to be delivering the same message and be on the same page even even if you do butt heads about it you got to swallow your ego a bit and understand that this coach or physio or doctor has another viewpoint that might actually be right and you need to swallow your pride a bit and your ego and um, trust them to get the outcome and always remember the put the athlete first not you first as well yeah definitely definitely Mm. that's awesome so in your opinion because you've had the opportunity to train so many athletes what separates the great athletes to from the good athletes out there well it's probably you know two things i think consistency is probably the biggest thing um and what i mean by consistency is they they do what they're supposed to do um they get through all the training they need to do um they look after themselves um their nutrition's on point their recovery's on point um yeah, they're just doing all those little things that they need to do to be be successful. And then the other component is is the determination to to be able to execute that. Um, and I've seen that in in so many of the great athletes. It is they're just the the consistent ones who who turn up every time. Um, they put their best effort into everything they do um, to get the result they want to get. Yeah, it's great advice, and you, you you see it all the time as well. The ones who show up, do the work, even when they don't feel, you know, hundred percent that day, they're still going to come in and do the work and give the best for that session, and also work on some little skills as well. You know, they're not just focusing on the gym; they're also focusing on the craft of their position and their sport, and doing those one percenters, especially when no one's looking. You know, just out there throwing the ball against a, a fence panel or throwing at a light pole if you're a hooker or just doing some light kicking sessions and they make the difference. And I know you could name about a thousand players who have done all that and gone on to higher honors. Yeah. And I think also, you know, the, the, the great athletes ask questions and want to be involved in their, their program. Um, they want to understand why they're doing it and how it's going to make them better. So I think, you know, encouraging them to, to be part of the process is an important component as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Definitely agree with that. And once they understand all that and built up their knowledge, you can ask for their input as well. I know uh, Nick uh, McGill from the the All Blacks likes to allow players to choose what exercise that they want to do and, and helps guide them as well. So once they've gotten a good understanding of what and how to program, allow them to have some input into that program, and then you'll get better buy-in from them as well. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Mm. So conscious of time, we're going to go into the Triple H. So one of my favorite subjects is, is learning more about yourself there, John. So hardship. Can you think of a hardship in your rugby coaching career or just S&C coaching in general that sort of stands out? And how, how did you get through this hardship and what did you learn through the hardship as well? Um, well there's um, a lot of different examples. I think probably the biggest one was... Um, just before COVID hit um, with the Brumbies, there was uh, a lot of um, bushfires and that in the in the Canberra area, and we were in our in our pre-season, and the uh, guys were off on their their Christmas break, so they had that eight days off over over the, the Christmas period, and um, there was a lot of smoke in Canberra, and the air quality was really poor, and uh, the head coach rang me and said, "We've got to move somewhere else to train." 
And I went, right, how are we going to do this? So between uh, Christmas and New Year, we were trying to find a location where there wasn't smoke. And uh, anyway, long story short, we ended up in Newcastle. Um, so we had a lot of, uh, you know, logistical issues to, to work out around, you know, accommodation where we we're going to be, the gyms we we're going to use, um, fields uh, for, you know, doing the running sessions and that sort of thing. And, and just not knowing Newcastle at all was, was really challenging. And I was fortunate I had a few contacts in, in Newcastle and um, Rugby Australia were able to help us out with accommodation and that sort of thing so we could continue training to, to be part of the Super Rugby competition that year. Um, yeah, so we, we got up there and we were really fortunate through some contacts at Newcastle Knights to be able to utilise the um, Newcastle Knights Juniors training ground out at the um, University of Newcastle. Um, so we were using that facility there and they had a gym there and uh, we, we got up there and went out and did our first training session and you know, it, was a, it was a stinking hot day. It was, it was pretty ordinary. It was our first session back after Christmas so they had to do a 1.2 and all that sort of thing and um, you know, there were a few boys who, who didn't cope really well with it and we had the gym set up and went up there in the gym and it, and it got to the end of the gym session and uh, Benny Norcott, myself and Joshy Strayan were, were standing around and we said, oh, I can't believe how well this day's gone. And all of a sudden one of the boys has said, oh, what's that? We're going, what? And they pointed over at the door and there was all this water pouring out from under the door in the gym. I can't, what, what the hell is that? And what had happened was that one of the sewage pipes at the university had burst. So we, we had, it was come later to be named as the Poonami through the gym. And <laughs> we had players going along the, um, the, the chin-up bars through the chambers, um, you know, monkeying along to try and get away from, from the Poonami. So, um, again, we, we had to adapt and change and had to locate a, a local gym in Newcastle. There was also a rugby gym at the Newcastle University um, that we were able to use. Um, but but throughout that whole week, we, we had a number of little things thrown at us that we, we had to adapt and be able to change um, to be able to get the success we had. And it was it was a, it was a fantastic camp that you know we we had to put together in you know, a five minute time period essentially and. And rely on on people, you know, the, the Newcastle people and, and sporting folk in Newcastle to help us out. So um, that was probably one of the the start of of that year, which was a massive challenge in in terms of you know we had the um, the smoke from the bushfires, then uh, we had an outbreak of mumps with the with the Brumbies, um, and then COVID shut us down, and you know we had to do the um, remote training through that whole COVID period. Then they restarted the competition, which was an Australian-only competition. And, you know, we are fortunate enough to, to get the the money at the end of the, the season by beating the Reds. So we've overcome a, a lot of adversity throughout that, that whole year to, to get a successful result. Um, yeah, so that, that was probably the, the biggest hardship I've had in, in terms of, you know, coaching and you know, controlling a, a group of people through a, a really tough time. Yeah, and you just sort of look back on it now and you can enjoy it a bit more and, you know, have a laugh or two about the, the shit storm that you had in the gym and yeah, just, exactly. just the mumps as well. And um, you just sort of look back on it and like, wow, we can literally get through anything together as a team. And if we've got a good support staff around us, doesn't matter what they throw at us, we're, we're still going to succeed. Yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. <clears throat> so next one, hero. Who is your hero and why is this person your hero? 
Um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty tough. You know, I think I've had a, a number of different heroes throughout my life, and and that sort of and, and generally comes down to people who've sort of overcome like a hardship and, and shown determination and and that um, you know for me close to home is my daughter and and you know her battle with cystic fibrosis and that every day is is a real hardship that she has to do and um, you know, she gets through it and uh, works hard at trying to be better every day. Um, more recently, I've been uh, listening to some some audio books of um, Dave Goggin. Love Dave Goggin. He's um, unbelievable. The the uh, the life he's led. You know, with, you know, going from a, a you know not a great home situation as as a child into you know serving in you know three different military um, organisations and becoming a fire jumper and overcoming you know different injuries to be able to you know run 240 miles I, I can't even get my head around running 240 miles and then just deciding to you know forest gump it across miami and you know, start at one border and run to the other so i think you know, he, he's someone i'm really like listening to at the moment and and just his determination to to be you know better at everything he does is uh, is really inspiring um and then from you know an athlete i trained was kim brennan who you know won the um, gold medal in the single skulls at the uh, Rio Olympics. Um, her absolute determination and single-mindedness to to be the best in the world was was, was truly inspiring. And um, you know the way she attacked her training. And you know one example of her um, willingness to train hard was she she did a race um, the head of the um, is it the George Rio? Oh, I've forgotten. In Boston. Anyway, big, big race in Boston. Um, she flew back to Australia, arrived back in, in Canberra on an 8.30 flight, was in the gym with me at 10 o'clock training after, you know, winning this big race, um, you know, over 24 hours of travel, come in and it was it was a really hard session we had. We you know, did a lot of um, strength endurance with the rowers and it sounds really contrary because they are out on the water doing a lot of Ks and that sort of thing. But as I come to understand with rowing, it was really important to, to maintain their, their lean muscle mass because once the Ks went up in the boat, their lean muscle mass dropped off and the, the power they could put into the oar dropped off. So, um, you know, we were doing some some crazy circuit stuff and it's probably a whole podcast on its own, so I won't go mm. into that. But just her coming in on the back of this trip, she ended up in the garden throwing up afterwards, which, you know, I don't take that any pride in that sort of thing, but it was more her determination to, to come in and, and get a session done that um, was was unreal. And then in the, her heat over in um, Brazil was terrible water conditions um, and you know, she didn't, didn't go so well in her heat, managed to get through, but then when she got, made the final it was just, her and Daylight were second, so it was um, incredible the, the performance she put in there. So, uh, yeah, three heroes of me and my daughter, um, Dave Goggin and, and Kim Brennan would be yeah. three big ones. Shout out to all three of them. That's awesome. Yeah. And the last one, highlight. What is a highlight that stands out in your career so far? Um, geez, I thinking about this, there's a number of key ones, I think, um, Early on, working with the Canberra Capitals women's basketball, we 
uh, fortunate enough to win six championships in, in 10 years, and that was working with uh, a, a group of women that didn't necessarily buy into to S&C as, as much as um, they could have early on, but they, they really come to, to see the value of it. And, um, you know, getting those championships with two different coaches was it was phenomenal. Um, winning the Tokyo Sevens with the, the Rugby Sevens boys, um, where we come to a final and we only had nine fit players able to play um, and get get that result was, was incredible. Um, geez, the Olympic stuff, as I said, Kim Brennan, and a fantastic highlight. Um, even the uh, the men's four that, that, that won in Tokyo, um, they sent me a, a video prior to it saying, yeah, they still sung the team song and did footy jump Friday leading into it, and I hadn't worked with them for three or four years. So that was that was, that was a great highlight. The um, the men's K2 that won the uh, K1000 in K2-1000 in um, Tokyo, again, working with those guys was was great. And I think, you know, Brumbies, that, that season I talked about before, I, I think the biggest highlight was... Um, Going over to, to Waikato when we beat the Chiefs in Waikato, we were the first Australian team to beat a, a New Zealand team in New Zealand uh, for I don't know how many years. It was a long time. Um, and the way they, they won that game was, was just phenomenal. They just played so well. So, yeah, they're not one highlight, a few different highlights there, but I guess I'm fortunate enough to um, and, and grateful to have had those opportunities to work with such great players and, and athletes across multiple sports. Mm-hmm. and plenty more highlights to come in the careers um, coming up. So I'm really yeah. excited to see what, what what else is installed for you there, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So last couple of questions. If you could only give one piece of advice for rugby athletes out there, what would you say? Uh, as I spoke about before, it's just a consistency. Um, you know, be consistent in what you do and, and be able to switch on and off. Um, I think that's an important characteristic. Like, you know, when you step across the line onto the field, you're there to train and to get better and, and be the best version of yourself. When you step into the gym, same deal. If you're going into the recovery centre, you're there to, to make sure you're getting your body ready for for that next thing. So, you know, when you cross the line, you, your mind's on, you, you switched on. When you walk out of the gym or whatever, you know, relax, you know, live your life and and do what you need to do. But, you know, once you cross the line, you know, business head on, get stuff done and, and be consistent, you know, just make sure you, you're doing the stuff you're there to do and, and you're doing it to the best of your ability. And would you say the same if you're giving advice for S&C coaches out there or would you change it a little bit? Oh, yeah, S&C coaches too. I think, um, you know, you, you've got to, you know, prepare yourself for the session that, that's coming and be able to, be able to read the room, you know, you cross the line. Again, everyone's got stuff going on in their lives outside of their, their job. But once you, you step on the gym, on the field, you've, you've got to be that person that's that's going to inspire, you know, people to greatness, to, to be able to achieve their goals, to be the best they can at their sport, you know, be it, you know, rugby, rugby league, growing, you know, softball, cricket, whatever it is. Um, you've got to be able to inspire people. And if you're being a sergeant major or you're just trying to be the cool dude or, or whatever, you know, have a think about, you know, the people who've inspired you in your life. How can how can you be that inspiration to, to someone else to, to get people to do stuff they don't necessarily want to do, um, to take people to levels they didn't think they'd ever get to? So, you know, what type of person is that? Um, you know, you need to be able to create that positive environment 
um, as I spoke about earlier on, to be able to get people to do stuff. Hundred percent. And I think I would add on to that is something you said quite a while ago as well is the standard given is the standard seen as well. And you're referring that to just, you know, basic cleanliness of the gym. If you're leaving the gym in a mess for the next people, then that's not a good standard, um, you know, given and seen, and you need to make sure you're, you're ticking off those 1% as, a, as an SNC coach, but also as um, athletes as well. Uh, that's a massive one. And, and just setting that example um, for your athletes to, you know, be respectful of you know, their environment they're in. And, and, you know, when you go to you know, someone else's environment, you, you leave it the same way you found it, if not better. Um, you, you know, to quote the All Blacks, you know, you know, sweep the shed sort of thing. You know, you, you've got to be prepared to do that, that extra little bits of stuff just to, to make sure that everything functions smoothly. Mm, 100%. So who should be my next guest on the podcast? Is there any uh, coaches or athletes out there that should uh, jump on for a chat? Uh, look, I, I think, um, you know, Michael Sparanz is one that really comes to mind. He's, um, you know, worked in uh, rugby league and worked at the, the AIS and done a bit of stuff across multiple sports at the AIS, then um, worked with the, the Reds. Uh, so he was a you know, strength and power coach there and did some rehab there and now is at the Broncos as their strength and power coach and the, the success that the Broncos are you know, experiencing at the moment, um, you know, comes down to, you know, some of the work that, that Michael's been doing there and, you know, it's very fascinating, like his PhD work around tackle success and things like that. So I think really relevant guy to, to have a chat to, particularly in you know, this whole rugby environment. Hundred percent. I'll definitely reach out to him. So, thanks for joining me today, Mitch. It's been awesome to get your insight, experience, and just general knowledge into the world of SNC, but also the world of you know rugby union, rugby league, and rugby sevens. I got a lot from this, and I know everyone else will get a lot um, from this as well. So, thanks again for joining me today. No worries, pleasure, Kieran. And um, yeah, just give a big shout out to all the SNCs out there, and you know, make sure you're part of the ASCA. That's a that's a really big thing to, to be part of an association so that, you know, you're working with other people and, you know, getting better at everything you're doing every day. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't stress more of going to your local, um, you know, meetings of your special interest groups or whatever they're called now. I can't remember the, the correct term now, but just going to those and learning from different coaches and building your network and then, you know, going to the big event of the year, which is the ASCA conference as well, like, I learned so much last year and it was so good to see, you know, coaches I haven't seen in a while, but also meet some new coaches as well, as well and expand my network. It's, it's been awesome. Yeah. So those networks are the uh, PDNGs, they're called now. So your professional development networking yeah. groups. So, um, yeah, there's a group in, in every major city. So, um, yeah, keep an eye out for those emails and stuff that, that come through from the ACA or on the, the social feeds as well. Yeah, 100%. So that, thanks again, Mitch. I'll catch you later. Pleasure, Kieran. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Elite Rugby SNC Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and rate Elite Rugby SNC on Spotify and YouTube, and make sure you follow us on Instagram. Sign up to come a beast via the link in the description or via Instagram page. Also, don't wait. Make that good decision and join Elite Rugby SNC today and take your game to the next level.